Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. Dr. Steven Kruger is a board-certified dermatologist, Mohs micrographic surgeon, and mentor. Dr. Kruger is passionate about providing safe and effective treatments and combines a conservative and artistic approach with state-of-the-art technology to make patients look and feel their best. He's a proud husband and father, enjoys eating Armenian food, spinning on his Peloton, gardening, traveling, and celebrating life's milestones with his family and friends. Join us as we discuss the spectrum of dermatology and how you can create your own niche within the field. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DIGA podcast. My name is Sydney Mitchell, and with me today we have Dr. Steven Kruger. All right, welcome. We are so happy to have you on. And I'd like to go ahead and begin by giving you the chance to introduce yourself. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Thank you so much, Sydney, and thank you for inviting me to this today. I'm really, really looking forward to it. So I am currently a Mohs Micrographic Surgery Fellow at the University of Massachusetts, up in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, Prior to that, I did my dermatology residency training also at UMass. Um, I actually was a med student here, too. So I've been at UMass for a long time now, done all my training in the state of Massachusetts. And uh, I'm really just passionate about, um, you know, mentoring the next generation of dermatology residents and trainees. I'm happy to answer questions about my own path, but then I really wanted to kind of, um, you know, help with people deciding on a career in dermatology in the first place. And then from there, all the different uh, job opportunities there are within dermatology and ways to craft really your dream job in the field. Awesome. And so, yeah, when you originally gave your talk, my, you know, flag just went up for me, like this would be absolutely amazing to share with other um, medical students or pre-med students who are thinking about dermatology or even um, students a little further on in their career and maybe pivot and find the field um, further along in their career. I just thought it would be such a great introduction to how broad dermatology is and how you, and use that really as a conversation to talk about how narrow you can go and and subspecialize and really carve out a niche, like you said, and really just create the dream job that you want for yourself. So again, I'm so appreciative for you being on board um, and sharing this information with everyone. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I hope your classmates found it helpful too. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm just, I'm really passionate about uh, mentorship like this. I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts on my driving <laughs> to work every day. So any chance I get to kind of um, reach a wider audience, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we'll get right into it now. So I'd like to start us off, I guess, by kind of discussing general dermatology versus subspecializing, just so we could use that um, to show the wide array of options that are out there for us. So yes, you could, um, you know, remain 
kind of general in your Durham practice, but then there's also so many subspecialties. And I'd like for you to even go specifically into the subspecialties and kind of just talk about what there is for students who are interested. Sure, uh, I can definitely dive into that. So when you complete a dermatology residency, uh, which is one year of an internship, it's a broad-based, usually internal medicine-based, sometimes surgery-based or even pediatrics-based intern year, that's one year, and then you go on to three years of dermatology-specific training uh, for a total of four years of post-medical school training before you're a board-certified general dermatologist. So by the end of your general dermatology training, you really are equipped and have the skill set to see a wide range of conditions and perform a wide range of procedures um, that, of course, all you know, kind of centers on the skin as your you know, organ system that you specialize in. So as a general dermatologist, you are, you know, certified and able to see, uh, you know, both children and adults to do a wide range of procedures like, um, you know, biopsies, both shave and punch biopsies, somewhat more simple surgical excisions to remove, for example, skin cancers or benign lesions, um, a wide array of cosmetic procedures such as laser procedures, uh, you know, injections of you know neurotoxins, fillers, chemical peels, some of the more straightforward uh, cosmetic procedures. Uh, at that point, though, you could go on to do uh, typically a one-year fellowship to get some subspecialty training. And the three uh, most common you know, fellowships that dermatology grads go into after residency training are dermatopathology, pediatric dermatology, and a Mohs micrographic surgery fellowship. Um, So dermatopathology fellowship is really for those who, uh, well, let me take a step back and say that during your residency training, you do get quite a bit of training in dermatopathology In other words, reading slides under the microscope uh, from biopsy or excisional, you know, pathology specimens and being able to read the patterns of the cells and come to a diagnosis. So you do get good training in that even as a general dermatologist. But if you really love that part of dermatology and want to be reading slides on your own, you would need the one-year fellowship to be able to do that. So you would get that uh, additional training. It's a one-year fellowship in dermatopathology. The next would be pediatric dermatology. Uh, And again, you will be able to see children after your residency training, but uh, the, the fellowship is really for those who want to really be an expert in the care of pediatric Uh, patients with skin conditions. And so you would do that one-year fellowship just focusing on pediatric dermatology. And it would probably open up, um, you know, positions at, for example, more specialized children's medical centers, or uh, if you are going to go into private practice, to really advertise yourself as uh, a specialist in children's medical conditions. 
And then finally, the last of the main ACGME accredited fellowships is the Mohs Micrographic Surgery Fellowship, which again um, would be specialized training in the specific Mohs surgery technique for removing skin cancers. But as I mentioned, as a general dermatologist, you do have surgical training and are able to remove skin cancers. But for those who take the extra year, they are able to kind of advertise themselves as experts in, um, you know, more aggressive skin cancers or those on, for example, the head and neck, where you really have to, um, you know, design reconstructions and, and be very precise in that way. I just also want to mention that um, another kind of procedural fellowship is uh, a, co a laser and cosmetics fellowship, which is also becoming more and more common, and some uh, procedural fellowships uh, train you in both Mohs surgery and laser and cosmetic procedures if that's of interest of you, uh, for you. And then finally, there are some uh, other fellowships that are less common, uh, but some people will choose to do more training in, for example, hair, hair research, uh, you know, different hair loss conditions, hair transplants, conditions like that. Uh, some do training in cutaneous lymphomas, in psychiatry and dermatology overlap, in nail procedures, in room derm or connective tissue diseases. So there's a lot of formal training after the, the typical four-year dermatology residency. So truly, if you know there is something of interest to you, there is a fellowship for it, and you can absolutely explore that interest. Right, definitely. Um, there are you know those three or four main fellowship options that I mentioned, and then numerous others. If you want formal training uh, in one of these disciplines, but I can't emphasize enough mm -hmm. that. As a general dermatologist, the world is still kind of your oyster. Um, you can still graduate from mm -hmm. a general dermatology program and really get on the job training if you, you know, go to work with some expert in a field. Um, and there's just a lot of opportunity to develop a niche even as a general dermatologist. And I'm hoping you and I can talk a little bit more about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then just uh, another point, I guess, for subspecializing, you can go on to do multiple fellowships. Is that correct? That is correct. Mm -hmm. So uh, a good friend of mine is a great example of that. His name is Karin Lal, and he uh, stayed here at the University of Massachusetts for a pediatric dermatology fellowship, which was one year after his residency training, and then went on to actually do a laser and cosmetics fellowship on top of that. So he is now essentially triple certified in general dermatology, as well as the care of children with skin conditions and laser and cosmetic procedures as well. So really, the options are endless, which is so exciting to hear, you know, even for myself, but then I'm sure for other um, students who are exploring dermatology. It's just such an exciting thing to get to hear about when you're, you know, exploring all your options. Right. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I fell in love with dermatology. It can be very hard, as a lot of your listeners know, mm -hmm. um, to, to pick the specialty that you're going to commit to. 
for the rest of your career, especially when you don't necessarily get much time in that specialty as a medical student. When I rotated in dermatology as a third and fourth year medical student, I was immediately hit by the variety within the specialty. So I can tell you for me personally, I just really wanted to be an expert in one kind of gen, you know, one discipline and in skin, for example, is that, you know, that one discipline. But then within the field, I realized there was so much else that I could be doing that span a very wide spectrum. So for example, seeing children is very different than performing Mohs surgery, which is very different than reading, um, you know, complicated biopsy slides under the microscope. So I felt good that I was, after medical school, committing to become an expert in the skin. And that's certainly what you get by the end of dermatology residency. But then I liked that I would then have the option to subspecialize um, in something more procedural. I'm, you know, I tend to, you know, lean more toward the procedural specialties. So I liked having that option. Uh, you know, for all of those reasons, I knew dermatology was was the right fit. And we love to hear it. <laughs> so um, if we can now, we could go ahead and dive into a little bit more about um, just within general dermatology, the wide array of options and, um, you know, how you could further carve out how you want your day-to-day to look um, and how you can market yourself within general dermatology. Absolutely. So, you know, the key takeaway I want listeners to understand is that a fellowship is not mandatory in dermatology right now. I know that's not necessarily true of some other uh, niche specialties. The flexibility within dermatology is, uh, you know, one of the best things about the specialty. So I like to say, you know, the phrasing is you can craft the job you want in the setting you want when and however much you want, and seeing only the conditions and procedures you want. That is kind of what you get by the end of training when it's time to to go, you know, choose your first job. So again, you become a skin expert at the end of residency in all things skin related. That's what you were trained for. But then it's easy to further develop any niche you have. So, um, you know, Sydney, when I gave that that you know career talk to you and your classmates, I pulled up some kind of you know real people that I know, real colleagues of mine that that are great examples of what a wide spectrum there is and kind of how they developed their niches. So, so can I go through some of those? Absolutely, we we'd love to hear it. Okay, so. Uh, you know, I'll just do some name dropping here. A lot of these are, of course, you know, University of Massachusetts colleagues of mine that I think are just great role models and great examples of how uh, you can develop any number of niches within dermatology. So there's Dr. John Harris, who's the current chair of our department. He is a world-renowned vitiligo expert. So he has a basic science background. He got his PhD as well as his MD. And um, his basic science journey in immunology kind of made him um, basically stumble upon vitiligo. 
Um, and all the connections he drew between his research and that condition led him to just want to learn as much as he could about the disease. There was no and still is no specific vitiligo fellowship. So he graduated from his general dermatology residency and just launched into a clinician scientist career where now he has a vitiligo clinic where he only sees that one skin condition. He also does a lot of basic science research and a lot of industry research as well, um, which is really kind of interesting, you know, the translational and industry side of things. And then in addition to that, I said he's the chair of our department and he's a speaker um, and speaks at a lot of these different meetings. So he's just kind of a nice example of someone with more of a basic science preference, um, very hyper specialized. He literally just sees one condition and knows everything about that one condition. Another you know, person that's kind of almost the opposite of that would be one of our UMass faculty, Dr. Mark Scharf, who's really a true general dermatologist. He sees all kinds of different complicated medical dermatology patients with rashes. Um, he's very good with the lasers, so he has quite a bit of laser training and experience. He even does uh, quite a bit of surgery, different types of excision surgeries. And of course, he's been in the academic sphere um, for his entire career. So you also get this, you know, division of academic dermatologists and more private practice dermatologists. That's even another option for you is really choosing what setting you practice in at the end. We have Dr. Karen Wiss here at UMass who did a pediatric dermatology fellowship and she's now a world-renowned expert uh, not only in pediatric dermatology as a whole, but also in uh, epidermolysis bullosa, which is a very rare skin disease that she also kind of just stumbled upon. Um, you know, she describes it as there was just a need for, um, you know, someone to care for these patients in the New England region. And she stepped in and filled that void. She didn't do an extra fellowship in, in EB specifically, but slowly but surely patients found out about her. She kept seeing patients with that condition and reading about it and, you know, staying up on the latest research about it and becomes a worldwide expert in that condition. Um, there, I, I mentioned Dr. Lal and how he's double, double certified in pediatrics and laser and cosmetics. I have colleagues that are nail procedure experts in addition to being Mohs surgeons. I have colleagues that split time both in academics and in private practice. So that's something that's an option for people who um, may be interested in both practice settings. There's no reason you can't do both. So uh, the point of all of that is just to show that there are so many different ways, um, you know, to use your dermatology certification and to really craft your job like I said, just seeing whatever types of patients you want um, in, in whatever setting you want. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned the settings because that's a great segue into discussing the variety of practice settings and you know what is um, available for us to go into in that space, whether, like you said, private practice or being more on the academic side. Um, there's even variety there. So that's 
even more exciting to hear about. Right. And, you know, to be honest, uh, I think this is more in hindsight. It's another thing I love about dermatology. And I would um, emphasize to all listeners who are still undecided about their specialty choice to really be considering these things. I know it's the less glamorous part of choosing a specialty, but really be considering what your options are going to be for a job after um, you know your training is over, because believe it or not, it does come to an end at some point. And so what I love about dermatology is there are these different options for practice settings. So the main, you know, branch point, like I started to allude to is academic dermatology versus private practice. So for academics, that's, you know, I I told you I'm finishing up my training at the University of Massachusetts. It's being at a large academic center, usually affiliated with a medical school. You know, you will tend to see maybe more complex cases you will tend to have trainees around and that may be something people really love and and feel the need to be mentoring and train uh, you know training the next generation throughout their own career um <clears throat> then there's the private practice side of things which is a little bit more maybe fast paced um you know it's it just has a lot of different uh, differences and and there's pros and cons to each of these of course and you really have to look at you know what you value the most and uh to in in order to figure out which setting suits your style you know within private practice there's even more of a subdivision you know you have large group practices which are you know these big groups with locations all over a certain region so, for example, the Kaiser system out in California would be a, a good example of a large group practice with many different offices. And as you can imagine, there are pros and cons to joining a large group like that, as opposed to a small group practice, which may have only one or two locations um, you know, that are somewhat nearby in the same state, for example. And then finally, there is solo practice still alive and well in dermatology. They, you know, there's not as many solo practices as there were probably 10 or 20 years ago, but it is still possible to graduate from general dermatology training and start your own practice, um, which, you know, is really exciting for those you know, who are more entrepreneurial and really want that autonomy and want to be able to to craft their own job um, even further, it is possible to still hang a shingle. <laughs> and so I, I think that's a great way then to kind of start discussing what a typical work week might look like, uh, depending on... Um, whatever kind of practice you may go into. So if you don't mind um, maybe sharing what your typical work week looks like, or, um, you know, if you know what a work week looks like for your colleagues that maybe um, chose to do things a little differently from you, just so we get even more idea of the variety. Sure. I think that's a great question. And again, just really highly recommend uh, for whatever specialty someone is considering to to realize what the hours in a typical work week are going to be like. I think that's crucially important to deciding on a specialty that, that's going to 
bring you happiness and joy for, you know, 30 or 40 years to come. So for dermatology, um, it is an outpatient-based specialty. Um, uh, you know, so in general, the their normal business hours, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, let's say 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning until 4.30 or 5 p.m., just kind of general office business hours. Um, so, of course, that would mean most nights and weekends off unless you are part of, you know, a, a larger group where you take call, you know, for an academic center, that may mean taking call um, for any inpatient consults, and that could happen on nights or weekends. But for the most part, your work is happening Monday through Friday during normal hours. Um, of course, you know, there's time for vacations and going to different conferences that happen. Um, and then in terms of a typical work week, I would say most commonly in dermatology, once you finish training, most people uh, would consider full time to be four days a week of clinical work and then one day a week um, where you're not seeing patients and most people would, would use that for some type of administrative time, you know, to either catch up or work on academic pursuits, um, et cetera. So, that is kind of the typical quote unquote full time work week. But again, like I keep hammering home, there are so many different ways, um, you know, to to structure a, a week. So some people, um, you know, really would rather do less than that and really only do two or three days of clinical work. And maybe they add more time. Um, of admin to be teaching residents or working on more serious research efforts like clinical research trials or basic science research, um, or just, you know, wanting to have more of a balance with your home family life. You know, it's absolutely an option uh, to not work necessarily full-time, but more of a part-time thing. So in any case, um, you know, most people are doing four days of clinical work and one day of admin work to constitute like a full-time, you know, dermatologist position. And then typically, what do you find that your yourself or your colleagues kind of do outside of the clinical sphere? I see what you mean. So, um, you know, I've heard this said, I think even when I was a medical student, I listened to a panel, a career type panel of different attendings, you know, just kind of giving advice for, for thinking about specialty selection and thinking about your future career after training. And I think most attending physicians would agree that you can't just see patients 100% of your working time. Uh, I think that's probably what contributes in part to physician burnout. Um, and I think most would say you need something else besides kind of the standard bread and butter patient um, to to keep your, you know, work life exciting and satisfying. So in dermatology, a lot of different options for non-clinical work. Uh, the most common in the academic sphere would be the teaching and mentoring that I mentioned. So most academic positions kind of build in time for that, for teaching residents, for doing research. You know, of course, research is a, is a major thing in all spheres, both academics and in the industry. 
uh, world where there's lots of different trials going on and, you know, they need principal investigators and satellite sites to to join in and advance the field even further with different therapeutics that are coming out. So research is another major way, um, you know, to fill up your work week. Um, you know, industry in general, these different uh, either drug companies or device companies, for example, laser companies that uh, that would be you know involved in in dermatology. You could be a consultant for companies like that, help with their clinical trials, like I mentioned. You could be a speaker um, at some of the different meetings or you know different speaker series that some of these big companies put on. Um, so that's something that a lot of people will will do. And then, of course, there's um, this is true of probably every specialty, but we have the American Academy of Dermatology, as most of your listeners are probably aware of. And then there's these subspecialty organizations like, for example, the American College of Mohs Surgery or American Society of Derm Surgery. There's a Derm Path group, a pediatric dermatology group, as you can imagine. So it's really nice to get involved in one of those organizations and volunteer your time doing that. Because again, my belief is that organizational um, you know, volunteering like that is important for pushing the specialty forward, various advocacy efforts, um, you know, just different services that these organizations provide. It's great to be part of that too. So anyways, all of that to say, there's a whole lot you can do besides just seeing patients, you know, day in and day out. And I think it helps to just kind of keep everything into perspective keep your, you know, work satisfaction high, kind of be a little bit more of a variety for you throughout the week or throughout the month. Mm -hmm. And do you personally have a favorite avenue for non-clinical work that you may do? Well, um, you know, like, I, do you mean me specifically? What some of the things I I I like doing? Yeah. So, yeah. like I mentioned, I really love teaching and mentoring. Um, that's something you know, I've benefited from as a medical student and then a resident. And it's something that I feel is is important to pay forward. Um, I intend to continue doing that, even though my next position is going to be a private practice position. I don't want people to think, you know, that ends just because you choose private practice. There are still many opportunities for teaching uh, in private practice as well. I do a little bit of clinical research um, especially because I'm, you know, here completing a fellowship, it kind of comes naturally with a position like that. And then I do get involved in um, the AAD, ASDS, and uh, the Mohs College as well. So those are some of the things I like to do, um, you know, that aren't necessarily surgery related or, or patient related, um, but that can, like I said, continue to advance the field forward and help, you know, other trainees discover their own passion. I think that's one of the best parts of of mentoring, especially in dermatology. And that actually perfectly kind of leads me into another follow-up question. What do you, what would you say, I guess you're most excited about when mentoring the next generation and, and pouring into the next generation of skin experts? What are you most excited about seeing as you know, those people move forward in their career or what are you most excited about seeing within the field 
um, in general as we just continue to advance? That's a really good question. Um, I I will just say in general, I'm constantly blown away by the next round of applicants for the residency, you know, dermatology residency match. It seems like people are just more and more impressive with their credentials and their experiences each with each year that passes. Um, you know, I'm not even sure I could have matched going up against some of these people that are, um, you know, applying these days. That being said, um, you know, I don't want people to feel like, you know, there is one cookie cutter way to match into dermatology. I think it's most important for you to just truly be passionate about the field and really fall in love with it. And your experiences will just kind of naturally reflect that passion you know, there's a lot of talk about whether it's necessary to do a gap year or whether, you know, you need to have a certain amount of research. I personally don't buy into all that. And I'd love to talk to anyone that wants to ask me more questions about my feelings on that uh, offline. But um, I guess in general, I'm just, I'm just really impressed by some of the different advocacy efforts students are putting in these days. Um, and just ways that as medical students, they're, they're excited to push the field forward. People ask, people that come rotate, uh, you know, with me in Mohs surgery or with my dermatology department in general, they just ask such great questions. Um, you know, they, they have such great ideas for new research and, and um, new, even just quality improvement initiatives to make our clinic better, you know, to make patient education better. There's just so many things to, that a medical student can do to contribute to the functioning of a department. And at least at UMass and the, the away rotators we have at UMass, um, the students just blow us away when they come visit us. That is so encouraging to hear. Um, so I'm so glad that all of our listeners get to hear that as we keep forging forward um, in our med school careers. Um, so we talked about a lot and we've got such valuable information here. Again, you know, if you're just starting out in your interest in the field um, or if you're you know, pivoting after, you know, being interested in something else, and then you find that this is your home, there's a lot of information here for you, just so that we know that, like you said, the world is our oyster, and um, there's so much that we could do within the field. So with all of that said, is there anything that you'd like to add, or is there anything else that we may have missed? You know, one thing that just came to mind I, I tell medical students this a lot, especially those who are who are still deciding on a specialty. I tell them, look around at the the trainees in dermatology and see if you can find anyone that's not happy with their specialty choice. And something <laughs> tells me you're going to have a tough time. And uh, I remember feeling right. like that as a medical student. Wow, everybody is so happy in this field. And I can say now, you know, four years into my post-med school training, uh, five years, excuse me, five years into it, I am just, uh, I'm so happy that I chose this field. I absolutely love what I do. I love going to work every day, even on a Monday morning after a fun weekend. And, uh, and I'm just so happy and excited about my own future 
Um, and I just want every med student, no matter what specialty they choose, to have that same level of excitement, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be dermatology. I hope it is dermatology. But no matter what, I just I hope that everyone can find something um, that they're passionate about, um, or at least that that will check off enough boxes to provide you know enough satisfaction for a long career because it is a long career after training. And you're right. I consistently hear, you know, everyone is just, just sings praises of the field. And so that, again, it's very encouraging um, knowing that going into it. If there's something else that may come up, I'd love to have you back on. We could, um, you know, discuss further, like you were saying, um, gap years, should you, should you not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> I, I am, I am happy to talk about any of these things. And, you know, my other disclaimer is that I always, you know, recommend that people get multiple opinions, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, ask other people that, you know, had a very different experience than I had, have a very different background than I have, you know, get five or six different, um, you know, viewpoints on something before you you decide. And and that's for something like a gap year or specialty choice or, you know, how to go about the following year of medical school or whatever. You should be asking around as much as possible. You know, I also um, uh, would love for you to share my contact information with with any of the listeners who have more questions afterwards. Um, I'm always happy to talk to, to, to students and, and other residents about, about my journey and, and give whatever advice I can offer. Absolutely. We will include that information in um, the episode description um, and in our descriptions when we post on our social media, but I'm so glad you mentioned that. Where can our listeners connect with you? and keep up with what you're doing or reach out? So uh, the easiest way would be through Instagram. My handle is Kruger, M-D-K-R-U-E-G-E-R-M-D. Students can also email me. We can give that email out um, in your your episode description afterwards. But uh, Instagram is definitely easy, but I'm also happy to answer emails or um, or any other way you can you can get in touch with me. Absolutely. Well, thank you so so much again. Uh, I really think this is going to be very enjoyable for everyone who's listening. If you're listening, thank you for <laughs> for tuning in. Um, but yes, thank you so much, Doctor Kruger, again for taking out time to have a chat with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, Sydney, you're so welcome, and thank you so much for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermintrustpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.